Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. So, I was going to ask for a show of hands, but that kind of feels bad. Some people were here last week, (laughs) and you will have heard Naomi talk about Jacob. And the reason teaching series are so great is that one week builds on the last week. But just in case you weren't here, I'm going to give you a quick praisey. May I have the family tree? The second one, because the first one's going to be too small for us to read. Okay, so today we're talking about Jacob. So Abraham is Jacob's grandfather. So Abraham, uh, his wife, Sarah, they have the son, Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. And Esau is their firstborn. And Jacob is the secondborn. And he very scandalously and awfully steals his brother's inheritance and runs away into the desert in hiding and shame because his brother has a plot to kill him. And his mum constructs this great elaborate story of how she just never really liked the Hittite women anyway and he should go and marry someone else. So that he has to leave. And I don't know how his father buys this, but he does. And so off he goes to find a wife. And so we pick up the story when Jacob is looking for his family miles from home. He's been wandering around like homeless, familyless, and he finds Laban, his, hold on, let me think about this, his uncle, his uncle's flocks in the fields. And he asks the servants, are you Laban's men? Are these his sheep? And they say, yes. Oh, and look, his daughter's going to be here in a minute. And she's very beautiful. And so his daughter comes into the field with her sheep, with her beautiful figure and her amazing personality and her sparkling wit. And he is immediately captivated. And he opens the well, even though they're not meant to open the well until all the sheep are there and makes sure her sheep are watered. And really interestingly, she has no idea who this man is. And he greets her with a kiss. Like, they're intimate family members. Like, he's way overstepping the boundaries on their first meeting. And so she runs home to say to her father, I met this man, he says he's my cousin. It was all a bit awkward. Please, let's sort this out. And so Laban runs and meets him in the field and greets him with a kiss and welcomes him into their family. And he serves with them. So he's finally found his kinsmen, his people. And so as we pick up the story today, Laban asks, what, you don't need to work for me for free. What will your reward be? And he asks for the younger daughter's hand in marriage. Works for seven years. And then, finally, Laban pulls off this elaborate stunt. And finally, Jacob gets his comeuppance. Having been the person that has been deceiving all this time, someone pulls the wool over his eyes when he really wants something, and he ends up marrying the daughter he really did not want to be with. And so they're married to Leah. He realizes the morning after, and they have to complete the seven days of the wedding feast. And then uh, Laban says, okay, well, you can have the person you really wanted, but you have to serve me for another seven years. And when you read commentaries, especially online, people love this story and they're like, this is the most amazing love story ever. Isn't it incredible that Jacob loved this woman so much that he was willing to serve for 14 years just to get her? Isn't that amazing? I'm like, well, not really. Because in the meantime, he's married to someone he really doesn't love. And he spends all of this time overlooking her because he is deeply in love with the other sister who wasn't his first wife. And it is a horrible, messy, painful, 
painful situation. And as we carry on reading this story in Genesis, what we find is that, um, if we go to the next slide, yeah, okay, so this is what happens with Jacob's family tree. Oh my goodness, I'm not wearing my glasses, I can't even read that. Okay, so Jacob, Leah, the older sister, the wife he didn't want. Uh, she has, he has six sons and one daughter through her. The Lord opens her womb and blesses her and they have this extraordinary family. So the first four children that Jacob has are with Leah. And then he has children five and six with Rachel's servant, not even Rachel because her womb is closed. So she gives her servant to Jacob so that they can have children together through her servant. And then Leah's servant, not wanting to be outdone, has two children. And then Leah has two more children two more sons and another daughter, and then uh, actually two more sons, no, one more son, and then Rachel finally has her first child. And this is Technicolor Joseph, as we know him later on. And then Leah has another son and a daughter. And so you can see that this family is a total disaster. It's so messy and there is so much pain and agony. And the message today is about perseverance. And we were looking at the scriptures together and thinking, this is amazing how Jacob perseveres for all this time to get what he wants. But then the more you look at it, you realise that there's a lot of perseverance happening in this story. And it's not just Jacob's, it's Leah's perseverance. She longs for this man that she's married to really love her. And she gives him everything she thinks he wants. And he still never feels the way about her. He does Rachel. And then Rachel's longing for a child that she doesn't have for years and years while watching the woman that her husband doesn't love give him multiple offspring. Jacob has to persevere for what he believes is God's gift and future for him. He's had this Abrahamic promise that he's going to be part of the patriarchs and the descendants from him are going to fulfill the earth and God is going to meet with them. But it happens in this very messy and extraordinary painful way. And God still somehow makes this unmitigated, stolen, inherited mess the basis of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when we read the story, how on earth do we make any kind of sense of it? And there's three things that I think God would say to us today. And this one's my favourite, and you've heard me say this a million times. But the first is, it is very obvious that God uses messed up people all the time. He uses people striving for their own needs and wants and desires, and he still manages to work his purposes out and bring the most extraordinary beauty out of the chaos and the mess of the situations that we somehow create. The second thing is this, that there are things that we want in our lives. There are things that we desire, situations we desire to be in, and that God uses our own desires and longings. Some of them God given, but some of them not, to bring his beauty and purpose into the world. And for those of us that have wrestled with big decisions in our lives, like, do I take this job and work in this city? Or do I take this job and work in this city? Those can feel like, well, God has a definite plan and I need to just listen to him until I hear the thing that he wants me to do. And I think we can see in this story that you can pick either job in either city and for any abundant reason, some of which are messed up and some of which are really holy, and God can still bring about his purposes. It should be such a weight off our minds that when we're constantly asking God, what would you have me do? That we can look at this story and go, 
I'm a messed up person, there are things I want, but God can redeem and make beauty out of any situation. And then finally, that no situation is too far gone. Four women, 13 children, total disaster. Goodness knows what mealtimes were like. And God still manages to do something beautiful. God is a man at very best of mediocre faith. It's full of deceit. He builds his altar. He forgets all of his promises to God. He kind of remembers it. And then he carries on kind of doing what he wants. And yet God still somehow manages to work. Um, But I think there's a real warning here too for us. God's presence upon us or upon any situation that we're in does not convey his pleasure at our choices. Let me say that again. God's presence with us or in any situation does not necessarily convey his pleasure at our choices. His presence is working out his divine purposes all the time. And so often it's in spite of us. And this for me is one of the main thrusts of this text, that your wealth or your health, your business success, your tenacity doesn't necessarily mean that God is blessing you because you are a good person and you've made great choices and hurrah for you. Good things happen to us and God is not rewarding us. But simultaneously, Therefore, bad things happening are not God punishing us. If we believe one, we also get the liberty of believing the other. My old pastor used to tell this story about a guy called Smith Wigglesworth, and he was a really famous Christian healer. And people from all over the world used to come to him to be healed. And the thing he was particularly known for healing people from was stomach cancer. And hundreds of people were healed in his presence from stomach cancer but the way he used to do this was he used to invite them up to pray for him and stand in front of them and then punch them as hard as he could in the stomach and miraculously many people were healed does that mean that the way God wants to heal people from stomach cancer is punching them in the stomach no no it doesn't mean that what it means is that God took one man's faith and his extraordinary capacity for belief saw it in him and blessed it anyway. And I think this is such an important thing for us to remember. And the other warning that this comes with is when you look at your pastors, you have to remember that even if you see God's presence on me or Sharon or Wayne or Eric, that you see God's presence not because of who we are and how holy we are and the great things that we've done and the wonderful choices that we've made, but because God is gracious enough to use us in spite of ourselves. We are going to disappoint you and let you down and make stupid decisions and we're going to fail you. But what you see in us, the presence of God, is God and he is never going to fail you or disappoint you or let you down or lead you astray. I'm watching a former pastor of mine go through the mill because of really terrible leadership decisions he made. Does it undermine the amazing work that happened in his church that God did anyway? No, because that was God and he is just one person. God wants to be celebrated, not the people on any platform. So where does this help us land? When we look at the life of Jacob, we want to celebrate in our lives the good things. 
to actively thank God for them, but then to use them wisely and delight in them and to never take them for granted. They are gifted to us, not because we deserved them, but because God is generous and can work his purposes out in every situation. We also need to hang on in there and believe that God has chosen you and can use you regardless of how messed up you feel your life has been. You need to talk to him and listen for his voice. And even if you only remember like Jacob about once every 10 years to build a little altar and say thank you, brilliant, it's a start. And look what God did through Jacob. And never count yourself out because even the most mediocre of faiths, as it feels to you, can do extraordinary things in the long haul. So I'd like to leave you with three challenges. And I think most of us will fall into one of these three categories. And because I was, had too long to think about this on an aeroplane, they all begin with R. The first is this. For some of us, we need to repent for where we've taken God's blessing as a kind of big, lovely check mark that we're a good and holy person doing all the right things and making all the right choices where we've looked at our business and our success or our family and how wonderful our children are and how they all believe in Jesus by the time they're 45. And we're so proud of that, that that's something that we did. That's something we need to repent from because that was never us. It was always God's generosity and goodness to us. And claiming that for ourselves also wounds those around us for whom that isn't their story, but they've been just as faithful a parent or business owner as you have. The second is restoration, where we have abused our privileges or where we've ignored God's call to love and to serve, where we've pursued, like Jacob, our own ends. Like, where is it that we need to do the equivalent of love our first wife? (laughs) Something that God gave you that maybe you didn't really want, but it's part of your story. And we need to love and respect and serve that. And then finally recommitment, perseverance, where there are things in your life that you know God has called you to, that you've put on the back burner or you've disqualified yourself from because of your sin or your poor decisions or your busyness or your, the fact that you have three small children or four awkward teenagers, to recommit yourself to the things that God called you to do that you know are still like a burning desire in your heart that he would have for you. I think probably God spoke to Jacob a whole lot more than we see in scripture, but I'm not sure that he listened because he was too focused on marrying Rachel and how many of us that is true for us as well. So as we respond, repent, seek restoration, recommit ourselves to the work of God that would see his presence in the world. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this remarkable and very messed up story of Jacob. We thank you that broken men and women in scripture whose lives are so complicated help us see that scripture is to be trusted because no one trying to write about good people following God would write this if it wasn't true. God, where we need to say that we're sorry for where we have looked at our own lives and forgot to say thank you that you have given this stuff to us. For where we have claimed things as if we deserved them and earned them, and it was a result of our holiness and our good work. 
we say, God, forgive us and challenge us. Where we need to make amends for not loving our first wives, not loving the things that you have given us into our care, but were so hard to really cherish. Would your Holy Spirit meet us and speak to us and give us the tools we have to love what we cannot love in our own strength? And God, finally, where we need to seek again wholeheartedly the things that you are calling us to. Would you fan into flame those things that are dormant? Would you give us courage? Would you give us friends for the road, people that we can be honest with about the crazy things it is that we think we might be being asked to do? That we would see change in our church and our families and our city. And we would remember that it's all from you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.